your singing was most instructive to me this morning. I think that's probably the most glorious song has been since we regathered. Praise the Lord for that. Thank you for encouraging each other, for encouraging me, uh, and uh, certainly including what we just heard. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Can you believe we're out of chapter 8? One of the students that had been gone for part of the summer, or we had been separated for part of the summer, I saw in the hallway this morning, and we were welcoming each other back. And I, I can't remember their exact words. And uh, we're looking forward to the morning service. And they said, I suppose we're still in 2 Corinthians. Is that correct? <laughs> and I said, yes, we are. And uh, I, was, I was glad. He seemed glad that that was the case. We pick up where we left off, so to speak. Um, uh, next year, we, the book, I think the Lord's laid on my heart to study. Next year would be the book of Job. We'll jump back into an Old Testament context next year. Um, but for the remainder of this year, we'll be um, finishing up the book of 2 Corinthians. So for those of you who are guests, that's what we do here. I try to cover one Bible book a year. Sometimes if they're super short, we can get two in. Uh, I've never gotten more than two, though. Um, well, this is what we do. So as Ben said earlier, chapters 8 and 9 are the second section of this letter. And so we're going to be looking at the second chapter of this second section. But this second section has three parts to it. So this is the end of the second part of the second section. Are you all right? Everyone good? All right. Verses 1 through 5 of chapter 9 concludes what we had we have been studying in a large portion of chapter 8. And I think it's good for us to look to the Lord in word of prayer and ask for his help this morning as we continue. Father in heaven, this is your word. It's been inspired and preserved by you, miraculously so. And we seek to understand it as it was given, and we seek to apply it and live it the same way. Help us, Lord, to approach this text as we have approached the whole day with joyful teachable hearts and may we leave more joyful than when we even came as a result of hearing from heaven in according to your word both in song and in teaching and in preaching today in Christ's name amen I would we would always take immediate joy and then immediate anguish when my dad would come in to the house on any particular evening, uh, mid to late July, and say these words. Kids, we're going to have a bumper crop this year of just about everything in the garden and on the apple trees. Everyone would go, yes, and then we would all do what? No. Because right? we knew exactly what that meant as far as our own labor expectations. And... Um, Childhood labor it was. We, uh, we worked to the bone. That was before the day. Take a deep breath, everyone under 18. That was the, before the day where allowances were given. Gasp, gasp. Um, that was before the day parents put excess cash under your pillow when you lost a tooth. 
That was back in the day, and I'm not bitter. That was back in the day, <laughs> right? That was back in the day where you were given one at the most. If you got two Christmas presents, it was like, wow, that was a bumper crop Christmas time. That was joy, unspeakable. But when he told us we had a bumper crop, all these things were true, and there was a lot of work to do. And every single year that we had a bumper crop, we had excess. We would do all of the canning. And my mom was a phenomenal can you call her a canner of goods? I don't know. What do, you, what do you call a canner? Someone who cans. I don't know. A canner? Is that appropriate? I don't know. We'll call her a canner. She was a great canner. And we learned how to can. So our house, our basement was full of ball jars, lids, you know. And we had snap peas, and we would sit there for hours on it and snap peas, and we would shave corn off the ear, right? And uh, we would stew tomatoes, and we would do the same with apples, and beets. They had zucchini. Never my favorite. Whoever thought it was a good idea to ever make zucchini into anything but bread. I, I can't wrap my head around that. But we would have zucchini often with our pasta, which baffled me even more. But that was even a day where we weren't allowed to get up from the table until it was finished so I would have to harvest and store up something I didn't even want to eat that made my labor even more agonizing but I'm not bitter right? <laughs> squash peas you name it we had it there used to be our house used to sit right out here in this open grass area and we had a we had a, a um, we measured it out. We had a garden that was about 110 yards long and about 35 yards wide. And to the west of it, we had about 12, 13 apple trees. And so that's not a lot. But my dad grew up on a farm in Middlefield where that was farming, right? And so to him, this was a pusillanimous excuse for a garden. But for us, it was a major deal. And that's really where I learned a work ethic. If I have one, that's, that's where I learned it. But every time we had this bumper crop, what that meant was there was going to be more than we could ever eat. Now, we didn't have a lot. Uh, as a matter of fact, the only time we ever had a lot of anything was on a bumper crop, right? Uh, we didn't have our own house. Uh, my parents lived in the parsonage, which the church owned, right? They didn't have an investment portfolio, as a matter of fact, often when we took a vacation, my dad would go to the bank and somehow get a small loan just so we could go on vacation. And uh, he lived the majority of his life paying off those loans so that we could have a vacation. We didn't have a lot. Um, but when we got that bumper crop, my parents always found a way to do something with the excess. They always found more needy people in the church to give it to and even more needy neighbors than that to give it to for give a cup of cold water in the Lord's name. They were always giving out of their excess, even though by cultural standards, by governmental standards, they would be on the poverty list. Okay. 
the more and more I study 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, I'm coming to realize this, and I've been sharing it, that these two chapters are just really about what Christians do with excess the Lord is often pleased to provide. What do they do with excess? Now, I'm going to have a very long introduction today. And I'm going to have a very brief outline. And that outline of these five verses is going to come as the conclusion. But I want to build a case for why I believe this text preaches that what's being done here is being done out of excess. Which means that this excess, as Ben also mentioned earlier before we sang, was going to be targeted for Jerusalem. Which means, as we talked about two weeks ago, that the assumption is, is that all the churches that were taking part in this collection for the church of Jerusalem already had their needs met. They already had their local church mission needs met. And so this was above and beyond just that. I really believe that this is, this is a lesson in ecclesiology. For those of you who are younger in the Lord, ecclesiology is just really the study of the church. This is not a comprehensive study of the church, but it certainly is a particular aspect, an application of how any healthy local church should function in relationship to what to do with natural excess. Hang on here. I'm trying to choose my words very, very wisely. What any healthy church should do with natural excess. Because remember, of all the churches participating in this offering, we had some that, had, were that, that existed in more wealthy demographics, and we had some that existed in more impoverished demographics. Remember? We had the Macedonians, and we've got the Corinthians, right? Macedonian churches, Achaean churches, two different demographics. But both had excess. Both had excess. Which means that every saint walking with God in those churches was funding, if you will, or sharing under the mission of that local church to the point where they had a bumper crop pretty regularly where they could gather up and give to someone who was in greater need. I think we could have a whole Bible conference, really, just on these two chapters and analyzing on what churches could do interdependently for the cause of the gospel, actually when typically these two chapters were taught primarily as application to just local church giving, which I don't think they're about that at all, as we've already discussed that. So let's read these five verses. We'll go back to our long introduction, finish with a brief three-point conclusion, and let you go home. Paul says, For it is superfluous for me, it's needless for me, to write to you, the Corinthians, about this ministry to the saints the saints, the holy ones there, are Jerusalem. For I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the Macedonians. So already in this first verse, we've got three Christian groups. He's addressing the Corinthians. The gift is to the Jerusalem Jews, Messianic Jews, and 
He's talked about this excitement in Corinth for this offering to the Macedonians that we started talking about in the beginning of chapter 8. Namely, that Achaia has prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I have sent the brethren. Now, remember those last time we were together, we talked about that one named and two unnamed guys. Remember we described them? That's the brethren here. Okay? These brethren were not from Macedonia. We'll explain that later. But I have sent the brethren, these guys we talked about at the end of chapter 8, in order that, he sent them where? He sent them to Corinth. In order that our boasting about you, that's Corinth, may not be made empty in this case, so that, as I was saying, you may be prepared Prepared to do what? Make sure that their collection for Jerusalem, the collection of their excess, was complete and ready to be shipped. Okay? Otherwise, verse 4, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, will be put to shame by this confidence. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift. This was the gift. What we're finding out here, folks, it's fascinating. We're finding out here that it wasn't the Macedonians that started this whole burden it wasn't the Macedonians that were actually the example church for the collection for Jerusalem. They were an example church among other churches participating in relationship to being able to give out of their poverty. They still even had excess. That's why they were the example church here. It was Corinth that was the touchstone church to begin with of all churches for the collection for the needy in Jerusalem. But remember, they were waylaid for a year because of the struggle that unbelief brought to their midst. Do you remember that? Back into chapter 8. Now, you started this offering a year ago and you quit. Well, they didn't quit the giving of it. They quit the completion of the giving of it. So Paul's admonition to them here is make sure, Corinth, that your readiness is brought to a completion so when the Macedonian men come, not the brethren at the end of chapter 8. They're coming to make sure that you're organizing a completion date. When the brethren from Macedonian come to pick up the gift, it's already packaged, it's taped up, and ready to be put on the Amazon truck, so to speak. It's all he's talking about here. So again, verse 5. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead of you and arranged beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. Powerful phrase, which will be our last point of three in our conclusion this morning. So there's a number of things we can simply conclude about what was happening here. And since these things are happening post-Acts, after the book of Acts, I believe we can glean some takeaways as a church family that will continue to help us cultivate a burden for even a wider expanse of gospel outreach than we even currently have today. 
We learned in Acts that God used Jerusalem to be the first church of gospel outreach. From her throughout Asia and Asia Minor, the gospel was spread on into Rome, and then from Rome to Spain, and from Spain to the Western world as we know it. The mother church of it all is hurting now, as Paul writes this letter, and the churches over the years, birthed from her, so to speak, were now in a position to help her, to help her with her basic needs so that her gospel influence could live on. I really believe this is the pattern of the New Testament church to follow. These were obviously like-minded churches, and I choose my words again here very carefully. These were obviously like-minded churches in this operation. Paul had been involved with planting them. He had written, really, or helped them write their own doctrinal statements, as it were. And like-minded churches apparently desire to encourage each other in this way so as to encourage gospel outreach in their time and for time to come. For most of us, this practical display of sacrificial generosity has been displayed for us in our own modern-day foreign missions movement. For those of you who are newer believers, I don't want this to go over your heads, but churches work together, if you didn't know, to, to send missionaries over the pond, so to speak, to foreign countries to take the gospel to foreign countries. Well, for most of us, again, this practical display of what we're seeing here in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 of sacrificial generosity has been displayed for us in our modern day foreign missions movement. Churches would share missionaries with other like-minded churches and we would hear their need. We would band together and we would support them and send them. I suppose there's nothing wrong with that approach for sure. At least we were doing something together for Christ's sake. But that's not what we see displayed here in chapters 8 and 9. And especially in the conclusion of this final second section, these first five verses of chapter 9, there's no organized foreign missions effort here before us in these two chapters. There's none. These were established churches helping first established church, Jerusalem, practically survive so her gospel influence would be sustained. As a matter of fact, we're going to see today that it was Corinth, as I've already said, that led the charge for the collaborative collection of this gift for Jerusalem, and that the Macedonian example to them was one of completion of gathering, not of commencing or of continuing the gathering. Nonetheless, these like-minded churches were connected by doctrine and then mission. That meant the world to them. That was why they lived. That's why they, they existed. Grace had turned their individual lives upside down for God's glory in Christ, and they embraced that good in a collective way, and now even in a collaborative way. God's grace did all this. What human could derive this? It was amazing, wasn't it, when we examined the Macedonian church as they described how they could even have excess to give as they gave out of their poverty. They completed an offering of excess out of their poverty. Every New Testament church, regardless of their demographic, was generously sharing out of their excess, regardless of their financial demographic. 
God had been supplying their needs as God had supplied Paul's. We talked about that in Philippians 4. God supplies need at all times and sometimes gives abundant surplus. But his grace teaches us to share with our local flocks and that sharing is just elementary to our existence. We considered so many Bible texts together to demonstrate that truth. Sharing with other local flocks is elementary to our individual existence. It's an elementary practice, or should be, to each of us at Grace Church of Mentor. I hope that's the case. I think that's the case, increasingly so. That's one way that we know God's grace is operating in our lives through our church. Where every single one of you that calls your church Grace Church is sharing enough for her to make sure her needs are taken care of for gospel progress so there will be an excess so we can help other churches pursue the same. Remember, we're post-Acts. I think this is what churches just do or should be doing. Sharing with our local flocks is really kindergarten ecclesiology. Let me tell you what preschool ecclesiology is without being caustic. Preschool ecclesiology is just being so overwhelmed with how Jesus transformed your own heart that you can't help but give back to the church that's trying to spread the message of Jesus to other people so he could change their hearts. That's preschool. So if you're not sharing with Grace Church, maybe you're pre-preschool, I don't know. Is there such a class? We move on. When everyone in the local church by grace does this, and we've seen this at Grace, I don't think we've even begun to see yet what we can do. When everyone, though, in the local church shares out of the story of the, out of the abundance of the story that grace produced in their life, then there will most likely be excess to share. There's an Old Testament example on that in building the Solomonic Temple. Do you remember? From the leaders to the children to everyone in between, there was an individual effort to share in the resources God had given them to the building of the Solomonic Temple, and everyone participated. The result, excess. And what did the ad leaders have to do? Stop giving. We've got too much. When everyone's involved, and everyone's involved in the labor, regardless of their demographic, there's a bumper crop. There's a bumper crop. And it's normal. It's normal. Years ago, we used to have clothing drives here of sorts at Grace Church. You remember those? And everyone would come and bring their excess clothing to make sure that people in our church had clothes. And then it branched out to our our sister churches, our church plants, and, and some others. And we could share to those who had need. Nothing wrong with that. Your family may have been the beneficiary of receiving some meals from people in the church. We try to get meals to as many needy people as we possibly can. Uh, especially those girls who just come home from giving birth to a child, and we know there's a lot of layers of life, 
in their homes. Anytime that my wife and I have been recipients of the meals that you provided for us, when we were ill, there was always excess. There was always excess. There was always excess of clothing when we had those clothing drives. I can remember 15, 20, 30, 40 bags of extra clothes sitting out here in the lobby waiting for some organization to pick up because we had excess, right? I think excess is the Christian norm when everyone participates, regardless of your financial demographic. Many hands do make lighter work to the point of often excess. And the church's financial demographics, as I've said, have little to do with the matter. So the effort we've been studying was a collaborative effort. It was not a foreign missions effort. It was an effort to share in order to see the gospel continue to be present in various communities. So therefore, it was a transparent operation. Hang on with me here. Long introduction with some very intentional words. It was a transparent operation. Paul is seeking ecclesiastical transparency. You can't help the need if you don't know what the need is, right? Paul is developing transparency among like-minded churches here. Once he teaches them to ride this bike of transparency in sharing, then the churches would easily be able to get on and ride it again whenever a need arrived. Transparency would give an opportunity for access to be shared. Remember the Old Testament example of sharing excess manna? Remember the illustration I used with the Richards and these sweet ladies over here to my left? Whenever there was excess, there was sharing to the need. Well, this is New Testament in our context, normalcy of sharing excess to our gospel neighbor's needs. Yes, I said it. It's normal. We can have coffee and debate that for a few hours, I'm sure. Because I will tell you that the existence of most churches in the West, this is not a normal practice. What is normal is that each church hopes to survive on any given calendar year to meet their own needs, let alone think about helping out of their excess to help another. But I'm telling you, when each soul understands how profoundly influential the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ has been in their own heart, you draw the circle around you. And when each saint does that and shares accordingly out of the equally profound influence of the movement of the Holy Spirit in their heart to share unto gospel purpose, there will be an abundance of excess there will be. It is normal for me. And I would love to have that conversation for you to tell me that it's not, not to debate. I just have the conversation. I'm trying to be as honest as I can with everything I'm studying here. In the context as well, there was only one church much worse off than even the poorer churches of Macedonia, and that's Jerusalem. So the context teaches us that most churches don't usually exist in desperate need of resources. But they can collaborative share in theirs under the gospel help of others who are. I think even the context of all this, 
all these individuals, all these leaders, all these churches working together from different churches in different areas teach us that normative pattern. That typically, most churches aren't hurting like Jerusalem's hurting. But sometimes there is a Jerusalem. They're the exception, not the norm. Here at GCM, Grace Church of Mentor, we share to the local need. Most of you do that joyfully, consistently, and sacrificially. And oftentimes you do that even with special needs that arise within the course of a year. And you do so unto a mission that we have, that most of you are familiar with. We exist to glorify God by evangelizing the lost and equipping the saints with the goal of Christ's likeness. You've heard that a few times. We divide that mission into three parts, glory, reach, and teach. You've heard that more than a few times. Glory is just really taking care of people okay, and places, homes and places to worship. We take care of people's benevolent needs. We take care of their physical needs. And we have a way that we can easily explain to you how we do that right here. So when you share to Grace Church of Mentor, there's a way to glorify God, to make sure that people in need are taken care of and we all ha always have places to worship. All right? Reach. Acts 1.8. You share to that mission. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria and other most parts of the earth. So when you share to Grace Church, that's Grace Church's evangelistic. That's its reach mission. We want to saturate Mentor with the gospel, Lake County with the gospel. We want to saturate our region, our Judea and Samaria with church plants that are like-minded, that preach the gospel and network with those and help those that do. You share that here. And then when you share to Grace Church, you're helping the teach need. We teach the Bible here. From disciple-making materials to, to materials we teach children, to adult Bible study hour, to Great Lakes Bible Institute efforts, which you've been made aware of again this morning. Your local church sharing goes to this mission for this church. Every penny to glory, to reach, or to teach. We've tried to make it as simple as possible because there's been so many missions, so many ministries that have existed for missions other than a gospel mission. So we try to break up our mission into Bible texts and Bible projects and Bible movement to settle your conscience that when you share here, God's work in Christ is being done, right? And if you're overwhelmed with what Christ has done in your heart, you will share to this mission because you know it's about mission, glory, reach, and teach. As you do that, there's going to be excess. And there has been for us from time to time. I don't think it's anywhere as consistent as it could be. We're getting there by God's grace. But from time to time, we're able to share out of our excess to that. I can remember years ago when we were trying to get more people in the auditorium, we switched from pews to chairs. We had a collaborative effort for each person to donate the value of one chair. And I believe back then that was $57. Boy, those chairs came in quickly. Children even gave out of the surplus of their allowance that I never got. <laughs> I 
I remember one child or two, two siblings walking up to the stage and, and, and handing me uh, an envelope full of cash. And it was equal to two chairs and it was money from their paper route. Every little bit, every person. I think we had all of the chairs that you're seated in this morning taken care of in about two weeks. It didn't matter whether they didn't have an annual salary, didn't make minimum national minimum wage, they gave out of their paper out. One person that had a little bit more could buy 40 chairs or whatever. Two weeks, I think we had all the chairs covered. Why? Because it's all unto mission. We share so needs can be met. So mission can go forward. And here in our context, we share. There's excess. So we can share in helping another local church pursue their gospel mission. There was excess in giving to the chairs. So we could actually replace chairs even upstairs. So even half of the classes could be more comfortable during their Bible study hours. When all of these like-minded churches share in this matter, then I assure you there won't be much problem at all with the support of foreign missions. This was not a foreign missions effort. You know, for years we've been working hard at Grace Church at mentoring so we can function this way. And many of you have embraced that missional effort. We should be an example church by this stage in our game, so to speak. And we have been, I believe, like Corinth in initiating of sharing according to mission. From you, Arch Ministries was birthed. Out of our excess, we've helped hundreds of churches across the country. And now that aid is extending from those churches to foreign ministries as well. So praise God, right? That's normal. That's not special. Okay? And that's all of God's grace and nothing of man. Because you've been overwhelmed with the story Jesus has developed in your own heart. <laughs> you want to share it and share it and share it with others so that they can know the same. Just think of what we could do if each saint here was tethered to the mission in this way. Think if each person here could realize that they were the thief on the cross next to Jesus and stood in equal need of spiritual cleansing as he did. Then we could start to embrace the reality of the text we saw in chapter 8 where Jesus, who was rich for our sake, became poor so that we might become rich. If we truly understand all this, we would truly understand a spiritual understanding of paying it forward, so to speak. Isn't that what's happening here among these churches? They're just paying what Jesus had done for them individually and ecclesiastically, collectively in their local churches forward so others will know him too. And people have to eat, they have to have shelter, they have to be clothed, they have to have a place to worship in order for the gospel advancement to happen. So they collect the offering out of their excess to give to the needy church. We're doing what we can. I feel we could do much more. Jesus wasn't tight-fisted when he came and gave of himself. Aren't you glad? Jesus didn't give of himself with qualification, just clarification. I am come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for every, everybody. As we own his heart to the person here, and we gather together, and we share 
together unto the mission of God's church, we will see a natural excess that can be distributed according to our established mission. Look at our Acts Wednesday Christmas offering. Many participate, not all, but many. Our goal last year was exceeded by $35,000. The more that participated, the more excess we have. And we were able to give exponentially more to the church plants that are part of that offering and to foreign missions because of that. Could you imagine if everybody participated in that? So write this down, right? God never intended excess to be hoarded. The grace of God compels excess to be distributed for the gospel's sake. That's our proposition for today as we head into our three-point quick conclusion as we close. God never intended excess to be hoarded. God's grace compels normal excess, careful word choosing hope. God's grace compels normal excess to be distributed for the sake of a gospel progress in a trustworthy manner. That's the full of our proposition as we conclude with three points this morning. God never intended excess to be hoarded. God compels normal excess to be distributed for the sake of the gospel progress in a trustworthy manner. That proposition remains the guardrail born out of this text, if we will, for all those who struggle to share because you don't trust. The mission of the church that we've discussed and the proposition we just gave, guardrail, they keep us protected from moving off mission. Many people involved. So you can trust sharing God's resources to God's mission. We've already read the text. I'd like to make a few final comments as we close. Three things particularly, why we can trust, trust the excess, the normal excess to be distributed, not hoarded in a trustworthy manner. Why? Because God's grace produces three things in these five verses. I'll state them when we're done. God's grace produces a collective eagerness among God's people to share unto gospel progress a collective eagerness, and it started in Corinth. We read it earlier. Do you remember that verse two? For I know of your readiness, of which I boast about to the Macedonians, later on in verse two, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. Most of who? Most of the churches that are involved with this collection for Jerusalem. It's grace that is trustworthy. Grace always produces very simple and obvious desires to share into the cause. Those gospel desires are identifiable and they're quantifiable. Yes, Christian sharing has been done for years for many things that are off mission, but in a place where the mission is passionately pursued and protected, then we know God's grace is operating and not man under the collection of that mission. In cross-reference here, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 11, which we've already preached on, when he's telling Corinth, but now finish doing it also, so that just as there was a readiness to desire for it, so there may be a completion of it by your ability. And that's the reason why he's writing to Corinth. 
you guys led the charge. Now just wrap it up, put it in a box, seal it so it's ready for delivery. So we know the grace, that grace teaches the effervescence, if you will, of sharing. And Corinth was the lead on this. Paul's usage of the Macedonian churches as an example group of churches was for multiple reasons, but the primary one was of completion. They finished out of their poverty what they had set out to do, having heard of the readiness and passion of Corinth to stir up this gift for Jerusalem. And they finished what they had set out to do for Corinth, or for Jerusalem. But Corinth had not finished, but their zeal was great, but just sidetracked by the unbelieving spiritual cancer in their church. God's word by Paul's letter treated that doggone cancer. And now they're healed, and their readiness is revived. They just need to wrap it up, get it done. So eagerness to share is sourced in grace, not man's passion, not man's manipulation, not man's coercion, not man's humor, not man's ability to persuade passionately to give to something off mission. It's all sourced in grace if it's directed to mission. If it's not directed to mission, it may be sourced in one of those other things, but it's certainly not grace. Paul says even in verse 2, I boast about those of you in Achaia to the Macedonians. This energy is palpable. All sourced in God's grace, which fuels it. Number two, there's not only grace produces an eagerness, grace produces a collaboration. We saw that. A collaboration in sharing and giving. Many ecclesiastical hands make light work. There's churches in Achaia, churches in Macedonia, the church in Jerusalem. There's men who are representatives from unnamed, like-minded churches. And in the text, we read of men from the Macedonian churches that were coming to Corinth to collect their gift. Paul didn't want these men to show up to Corinth and there not be a gift wrapped up, ready for delivery. So the grace of God teaches it's normal at times to work collaboratively with others who are like-minded unto gospel purpose. This is all about excess. The final virtue this morning as we close, sharing unto gospel distribution in a trustworthy manner is this. Completion. Completion. You can't make gospel progress unless gospel goals are met. And the goals have to be stated and they have to be seen through to fruition. It's completion. God's grace compelled these churches to complete, and now Paul knew God's grace would compel Corinth to complete. Wrap it up. Wrap it up. Because there's a temptation that comes if there's no completion. Are you ready? It's the end of verse 5. If there's no distribution, you're going to tempt yourself to covetousness. It's right there. So that, purpose clause, Greek language, the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. You know what? Thou shalt not covet, right? That goes back into our phrase on hoarding and our proposition before we started our three-point conclusion. And I think 
We're more like an Achaean Corinthian church than certainly a Macedonian church. We've already discussed that. So when everybody understands the story that God's grace in Christ is producing in their life, everybody will do their part to take care of here. And it's our mission. And then there will be excess. If grace holds on to the excess, we're going to tempt ourselves to something. And I really believe in westernized Christianity, we've tempted ourselves unto empire building because we haven't been distributors of what God's people have shared unto Christian mission. And that's another whole class. God did not grace us in Christ. He did not bless us with every good gift, James chapter 1, from him in Christ for those resources to be hoarded at the expense of gospel mission. Every one of you is going to have to challenge your own heart in that regard. And I would say that's the Holy Spirit. It's probably already doing a really good job on you like he's been doing on me. Right? The last thing we need as the days grow darker, the last thing we need are Christians who have excess, that are hoarding excess at the expense of gospel mission. One of my sons got married, got married to a girl whose brother's an architect and uh, um, sweet guy. Um, and um, I was talking to him about at, at their little post-wedding reception, post-reception to their wedding reception at their family's house about his industry and where he's headed and some of the analysis and studies he had done. And um, um, he had just mentioned, um, you know, the big market for architects was, was really building out. The top market right now for architects in our country was building out storage units and different kinds of storage units. Uh, and I suppose we got onto the conversation because some of uh, Micah and Elle's stuff was stored in a storage unit that was just absolutely fascinating to me. Like we could drive our cars into this massive storage unit closed the garage behind it. Part of it was air conditioned, part of it wasn't different size storage unit. It had an elevator to the different floors. I mean, this thing was elaborate. I could like live there in this storage unit and do very well, right? Maybe they rent me space, I don't know. And we were just talking one day and Jansen said, this is the number one market for architects to get into right now. And I said, why? I said, that's crazy. He goes, he goes, Tim, all I could tell you is, he said, Americans, even poor ones, just have a lot of stuff. He goes, I'm an architect, I'm in the industry, and we're designing, we can't design fast enough. It's the number one growing industry in the United States right now, storage. Our country knows excess, right? I mean, come on. Now wait, take a deep breath. You know excess. I know excess. Praise God, right? That's all from him. <laughs> right? Nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong with it. It's got to be utilized for the reason why Jesus came. That's all I'm saying.
We have no other mission. Someone calls and says, hey, you know, you love those calls on your cell phone, right? The ones you want to be taken off their caller list. Hey, I'd like for you to give to, hey, I'd like for you to give to, hey, I'd like for you to, hey, 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 hey. Are you tired of hearing hey? Right. There's one hey. There's one for the believer. You do what you want. But if you ever follow the other admonitions and the exhortations to give to whatever virtuous cause is out there that's off mission, maybe virtuous, maybe off mission, if you ever give to those at the expense of mission, that's an issue. Because God intended people to share what he's given to them for his cause, which is the fame of Jesus Christ. So that people might know him the power of his resurrection. That's what I want to be about as a pastor. That's what I want this church to be about as a church. And if we can do this with hundreds and thousands of other like-minded churches, when we stand before the Lord Jesus, our conscience can be a little bit more clear, I think. Because we actually understood the text as it was given. This is normal. This is normal. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you. Help us to continually be te- learners, lovers, as worshipers, as was stated earlier this morning. It's all we want to do is be teachable. I pray that God's grace would develop all here like it's developed some here to constantly come and to beg to give and to cause as the Macedonians were begging to give unto cause, because it's nothing about giving. It's everything about cause. It's all your resources, and it's all your cause, so it can't be about anything but that. Help us to embrace this elementary doctrine and move on to the meat of ecclesiastical purpose of existence of gospel cause. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.